Thank you, Mike. Stephanie is there to help those of you with children to get the Bible boxes for uh, this time together. And everyone else, I want us to turn to John chapter 3. The lectionary takes us to a wonderful portion of Jesus' teaching. John chapter 3, we're going to start with the 14th verse and go through the 21st verse on this fourth Sunday of Lent. As soon as I say John chapter 3, most of us stop and think about that most famous of all verses. In fact, it's one of the verses that you often see John 3.16 on poster boards when you go to sporting events because people want uh, people to think of it. But it was never more effective than when Tim Tebow put John 3.16 on his eye black. And this was at the championship game back in 2009 when Florida was playing Oklahoma. I'm sad to say that Florida won, but Tim was the, the quarterback then. And one of the interesting things of statistics is that the next day, 90 million Google searches were done on John 3.16. Isn't that interesting? Just as interesting, three years to the day after this championship game where Tebow led the national championship of Florida, he led the Broncos to an overtime victory of the Steelers. It was a wild card game, and it was subsequently called the 316 game. The statistics are fascinating. Tebow passed for 316 yards. He averaged 31.6 yards per completed pass. The ratings for the game peaked at 31.6% of U.S. households. The Steelers' time of possession was 31 minutes and 6 seconds, and so on. Now, I have a question for you. Do you believe God intervened in that game to leave his mark? Was this a message for Tebow or for us? Do you believe God was honoring this Christian athlete, and now he's a Christian missionary, in this wild card game? Now, I ask you that question because today we want to focus on the concept of belief. Why do you believe what you believe? When I ask you, do you believe God intervened in a football game, citing the evidence that I just gave you, Am I asking the same or a different question than when Jesus says that when you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will not perish, but you will have eternal life? Now, are those different kinds of beliefs? And if not, then what way are they the same? And if it is, then in what ways are they different? And to expand just a little bit on the concept of belief, is belief just an opinion or is it based on truth? And if it is based on truth, then what evidence do we require in order to believe something? And reversing the question... Does what or who we are believing in 
change the nature of the belief. And then altering it again. When I say that I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, is that just something that's true for me? And you have your own truth, your own belief. Or is belief in Jesus something that is larger than my opinion or your opinion? And if it matters what or who we believe in, then is it different to believe that God would intervene in a football game than to believe that God sent his only begotten son that we might not perish but have eternal life? And if that belief is different, in what way is it different? The word John uses for believe that Jesus uses most accurately is pistuo. It comes from the word pistis, which means faith. Now that root means that pistuo has a deeper sense than just believing in the statistics of a game. Or even that God might intervene to produce some unique statistic. It means believing in something in such a way that you would entrust your mortal soul, your physical life, into the hands of the one you entrust, you believe. And that belief is different in nature from believing in a statistics in a game. So what does it take to cause you and I to be willing to entrust ourselves into the care of God? What evidence are we looking for? What unique set of experiences? What vital truth about God is necessary for us? Does it take a love that is willing to die for you? for you to entrust yourself into the hands of that one? Does it require, in fact, a light that dispels the darkness of your life, your past, your mind, your thoughts? Does it, in fact, require a truth upon which all other truths and all other truth claims rest? And does it need a reality that goes beyond your opinion or my opinion or cultural bias. Now, if we're asked to believe in something or we will perish, if we're asked to believe in something or we won't have life, we won't have eternal life, then it seems to me that we need to think clearly about what does it mean to believe and why belief in Jesus Christ is that vital to our very eternal life, our existence now and in the world to come. So let's go to John, and we want to uh, set the context just a little bit. You'll remember in the first part of the third chapter that it's Nicodemus who has come to talk to Jesus, and he has asked, you know, what is this about? And Jesus says, well, unless you're born of God, born from above, born again, you're not going to experience the truth about who I am and about what life is. In other words, Practicing a religion, which is what Nicodemus was doing, is not enough. Belief in a certain theology or even 
belief in a religious practice is not enough. That's no different from belief in the statistics of a game. We must believe in the one that makes life possible. And that causes Jesus to continue on with his teaching with Nicodemus. He doesn't just stop with the fact that he needs to be born of God and have this new life within him. He goes on to explain that. And so that's where we're going to pick up the interaction between Jesus and Nicodemus. So we're at chapter 3, verse 14, when Jesus says these words. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Now keep that open before you and let's pray. Father, as we talk about this core reality that we are to believe, to entrust, to have faith, to place our lives in, you, your Son, your Spirit. I would ask that you would speak to each of us. You know where we are on this journey. You know if we're trusting in religion as though we're trusting in statistics of a game. You know if we have true light and life that comes only from being born of you. You know if we walk with you each day in that wonderful unity that causes us to be alive in a way that will last eternally. We just ask that you would be with us as we experience and and open ourselves to you and allow you to, to come into us. We're here because we believe. Help our unbelief. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I want to come clean with you. I do think that it's fascinating that Tim Tebow, in his evangelistic work, had the stats of Game 316. I think it's fascinating. I also think it's fascinating that God would keep the shroud of his son's burial available in Turin over all these centuries for all to see. I think it's fascinating, in fact, that God would lead the archaeologists to unearth the chariot cities of Solomon, this ancient kingdom of Israel that is being contested whether it ever existed or not. And we have the the clear evidence the rocks themselves are shouting out. And I think it's fascinating that magazines like The Atlantic would publish an article just last November describing the evidence of obvious blessing 
for those who practice the Christian faith and who are uh, followers of Christ. And I could go on and on and on. I really do think it's fascinating that the longer we study, the more we know about physics, the more we know about biology, the more we know about history and psychology. It's fascinating to me that the evidence is mounting in support of belief in the Christian faith. But let me be very clear. None of those things have anything to do with my belief in God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ and the ever-present counsel of the Holy Spirit. These fascinating discoveries are for me like small supportive stones that lie unneeded next to a great foundation tower of belief that I experience in my relationship with God. And to think that I would believe or not believe because of the statistics of a game or a shroud of Turin or a discovered city or some scientific affirmation is to misunderstand the belief in Jesus Christ that is offered to you and to me in this spiritual and eternal journey. When Jesus came, he didn't come to convince us of the fact that God exists. Uh, many times I have conversations with people as though that's what they think it means to be a Christian. Yeah, that Christians believe God exists. No. 2,000 years ago, James made it very clear to us when he said that you believe there's one God? Good, even the demons believe that. And shudder. That is incomplete if we are to understand what belief is. To believe in God is not a matter of being convinced that this world is the handiwork of a creator or an intelligent designer. Or even that there is a divine life force that permeates all living things as New Age religion teaches and to become spiritual. To believe there are spirits or to believe that God exists is not what Jesus or James are talking about. It's a category error to think that that's all we believe as Christians is that God exists. We believe that Jesus Christ is the life the truth, the way. We believe that he's the source of all existence. He's the very ground of our being. He's the one who gives us future as he's giving us a present. He's the one who has, in fact, given us life beyond this oftentimes imprisonment of cognitive uh, structures in which we have to think in a certain way in order to, to be a Christian while all the time the heart is just shouting out, yes, I believe, I believe, help my unbelief. Now to believe in Jesus and our Father and the Holy Comforter is to take the risk of trusting in the one who loves us. And we trust him, holding nothing back, either in our heart or in our soul or in our strength or in our mind, but it's falling completely and fully, holistically, in love with, in trust with, in faith with, in belief with, the author and source of all life. The one who gives light and who gives love to the very existence of these eternal beings that you and I are. There's nothing really analogous to it as you 
look throughout the world and you try to say, what, what is similar to this complete trust in God? You see it only in, in, in shadowed forms. I was thinking perhaps when I saw my son's nursing on Cheryl's lap and they would look into her eyes and I'd see an intimacy and a trust in her, a love that you don't see any other place. Or I was thinking one of the most uh, sacred moments for me is to stand two feet from a bride and a groom as they're looking into each other's eyes and they believe the other when the other says that they will keep themselves only unto them so long as they both shall live and that they entrust their themselves to the other. But in both of those instances, we know of the exceptions and the failures, and we know the moments when that belief was betrayed and, and the child and the mother go through the struggles of the differentiation and maturation that, that life is. And so even... Even those two analogies only reflect in very shadowed form the one who will never betray, who will always be faithful, who we can entrust ourselves to without fear because he is in fact the one who loves us without any restriction and cares for us and simply wants our response of love back to him. It's in these words of Jesus Christ that we find that he is willing to free us from condemnation and willing to shine a light in the darkness. Jesus, as he continues teaching Nicodemus and as he continues teaching you and I, says in verse 17, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. It's interesting that in our world we turn that concept upside down. When someone is condemned to prison until they die, we, tell them, we speak of them as they got life. When in fact the opposite is true, they lost life their life, and their life is now imprisoned in a small cell for the rest of their mortal existence. What Jesus is saying is that you already lost a life. You're already condemned. The question is, do you want life? Do you want to live without condemnation? Do you want to live free and able to love? If so, then believe in the name, the authority, the reality of God's one and only Son. Believe and trust in, have faith in, be entrusted to this one that has come that we might have life and have it abundantly. And then to make sure that we understand, Jesus uses a different analogy to describe it. But he's making the same point as, as the first one. Just as we are already condemned and we need life free from condemnation that comes from the forgiveness of Christ. We are already living in darkness and need light to be able to see, to understand, and, and in fact, to love one another. In other words, Jesus says that we are living in darkness, and we do that because we want to hide our hearts and hide our actions. 
we don't live and we don't love as we intuitively, every human being, knows we should. And so we hide from God and we hide from ourselves. We hide from each other. We live in increasing isolation and the darkness that in fact causes us to live the nightlife rather than the light of day. Jesus says in verse 19, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. It's that last phrase that is so powerful as Jesus says that whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Now think about that. Think about what he's saying. Is there anything that God does not see? And if God sees everything, even what we've done in the dark, then who is the light for? And if the light is for us, then why is it important that we live such that we want God to see us? What does that say about who we believe in? The loving, forgiveness, acceptance, empowerment. And who is it that we become when we live in the light, in the truth of God? Now, I don't know how your belief in Jesus Christ is today, but I do know that it's not primarily an intellectual convincing. It is primarily a holistic convicting in which we live life in the light and in the love of God. It's falling in love with God in such a way that we believe with all our heart, all our soul, all our strength, and all our mind. And that gives us a life that lasts eternally because it is based on the truth and the reality that is far beyond opinion, far beyond some individual construct of the mind. It's a reality based in God. So I ask you then the question that Jesus infers in his statement. Do you believe that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son? Do you believe and trust your very well-being, your eternal soul, into that truth? Do you believe that this son has come to give you a life free from dark condemnation so that you can live in this wondrous, loving light do you believe that eternal life comes from a loving God and not religious practice or statistical analysis? And if you are in, unsure today of what you believe and how you believe it, then I encourage you to open your heart right now to him and every day let him forgive and set you free from condemnation. 
Let him shine into your darkness and show you his truth. Let him be your life and your light. Let's spend time with God.